and welcome to Skin Out, a podcast celebrating all the people them that want to skin out, enjoy and show out. These are the stories of people of colour taking up space in the kink and fetish scene. I'm your host, Tony, and I hope you're ready because we're about to go on a sexual journey. In each episode, we'll meet a brand new guest, delve into their sexual past and tread alongside them as they divulge their exploits in desire. Today I'm joined by the lovely mouse, she, her, it. She's a queer, mixed race, fat femme rope bottom and accidental rigger from London. She is a rope educator and staunch advocate for body and racial diversity in rope and kink. She runs the monthly POC-centred Shibari workshop with serotonin. She enjoys creating safe learning spaces that helps others to access connections and feelings through rope. Hi, Mouse. Hi. Oh, even closer. (laughs) I want to get up close and personal with you. Okay, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I like a little bit of up close and personal. (laughs) So, tell us all about you. (laughs) What a a broad question. (laughs) No, no, tell us about, okay, what we really want to know is your sexual you. My sexual me. Yes. Um, So, like, starting, starting when? Starting... You choose. I want you to choose a moment for you that sort of defines or maybe perhaps started and shaped who you are today. I think what's really interesting about kind of my sexual desire, I guess, is it's like really quite broad and spans a lot of things. I guess I've always, like as far back as I can remember, um, been turned on by things that I guess you're not really meant to be turned on by in terms of like like what what society tells you you should and shouldn't be into. So I've always kind of like had fantasies of like bondage and kind of like roughness and I think when you're younger and you don't really understand that it's a bit of a difficult kind of like sexual thing to be into because you're like well I'm not normal. And then you grow up and, and you meet all like the fun people that you meet and you're like, oh, actually, it is normal. But I guess like when I was <laughs> too young, like 13, 14, I'm kind of like exploring my, like what interests me like sexually. And like when you kind of start masturbating and you're like, what's in my head? Um, it was always like bondage. It was always kind of like things that were pretty shamey. Like I've got a real... A real thing for like shame, like sexual shame play and and humiliation and that kind of thing. And I think that's always been a part of like my sexuality, I guess. Don't really know where it comes from, but I don't think it has to come from anywhere. It's just like, hey, I'm into this thing. Uh, Although I didn't really feel like that until 15 years later. (laughs) (laughs) And what about it sort of arouses you? Is there certain types of shame? Is the certain response elicit another response in you? I think it kind of depends what it is. Like, I think in general, I'm aroused by things or like the feeling that I shouldn't be aroused by this thing. So the kind of, I don't want to use the word naughtiness of it, but like the naughtiness of it, the kind of the feeling that it's not okay is what. I kind of get aroused by I think in general and that's up till like now as well like I I do some pretty gross stuff and like the 
What kind of gross stuff? <laughs> Go on. There are, there are no secrets here. There are no secrets. It's a there safe no, space. It's a safe space. Tell us. Tell us all the dirty, gross things that you like. Uh, I mean, so many dirty, gross things. <laughs> I've recently, uh, so I am in a like a DS kind of situation. It's not a situation, I guess it's a relationship. That's exactly what it is. I just don't like relationship. I don't like the word relationships. <laughs> well, that's another story. We can get to that. And in general, it's very like water sports heavy, which for me was like something fairly new. And it's really gross and really shamey. But I also like totally love it. I mean, I hate it, but I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> or I hate to love it. So or love I- to hate it. Are you the submissive in that yes, relationship? Yeah. I am toy or toy is me, which is really fun actually. I am um, it's a very psychological relationship. We do like a lot of psychological type play and it's very like shame and humiliation based and it this is so I've never I've never celebrated Valentine's Day before. I'm married by the way. I've uh been in a relationship with my husband for 5 years, but we're we're poly. And we have other partners and he's not the partner that I do the DS stuff with. But we don't celebrate Valentine's Day, never have. But I did with uh, with Mummy, who is my my top in this kind of situation. He is a man. I feel like when I say Mummy, people automatically think a woman, but he's not. So within this kind of like uh, Mummy toy thing, we have like a couple of different rules and like some of them are like permanent rules like that exist all the time and then some of them kind of come in and out depending on where we're at or how we're playing and for a while like one rule was that uh, every time that I went to the bathroom I had to take a picture of my feet and like my underwear like around my ankles every time which is a lot it's like a lot and it's like very very shamey because like there's the whole like psychological thing of like someone knows when you're going to the toilet every time that's like a lot and I hate these photos more than anything or not more than anything but I really do hate the photos and my Valentine's Day present from mummy was a canvas collage and it's a heart like it's a it's a heart that's made up of tiny photos of all of those photos of that I'd sent (laughs) over the last like how like month or so and it's like the worst but best present ever it's like that's really thoughtful and really sweet and also the worst thing in the world (laughs) So yeah, I do a lot of things I love to hate and hate to love. What was the journey from this initial exploration of shame when you were younger mm-hmm. and it, you got to this point where you're now a toy? How did that happen? Like, How did you transition to that? What was your first experience of masturbating to this shame? And then how did that evolve into you becoming this entity and this being? I don't really know if there was one like linear kind of narrative of it. When I kind of discovered porn I guess it's probably like yeah 14 15 and I like to read my porn I am a very visual human in my brain and I just used to always pick the stories that had like a kind of slavery kind of toy aspect in it and I don't know when I was 17 and I started like having sex with people it kind of went out of the window almost. Or not went out of the window. I was just having very normal sex with very normal humans because that's what you think is, that's what you think it is, I guess, at 17 when you don't really know any different. And kind of went through uni with that and 
like sex is fun, but also for me, there was always something missing. When I kind of moved back to London after uni, I already knew about like rope bondage, I guess. And I think just started like following like rope bondage stuff on Instagram, found Anatomy Studio, and I'm probably about 23, 24 at this point, and like loved the pictures and uh, I loved everything about it. But I very much had a view that it wasn't for me um, in terms of like the people that you see in those photos are very like slim white women mostly in rope. And so I kind of just looked at a distance and kept having mediocre sex with me <laughs> with, with people and I was like I'm, I've always been like a rough sex person like but it was all very vanilla um not that vanilla is a bad thing like inherently but it's just not for me and then one day I was like I'm gonna go to the studio I'm just gonna go um and they were doing a bottom bottoming workshop I just went by myself to this workshop and fell in love with rope and through rope found kink the kink community as a larger kind of place and whole and I really found my people I guess and I started playing properly with like impact and bondage and breath play asphyxiation is like my probably my number one kink and just like finding people I could do that with in as safe a way as you can when it's kind of risk play risky edgy play and it wasn't linear in this time I'd also like I met my husband we met on on the internet and we were we started in like a really ridiculous like DS thing him being the 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 dom and me being the sub but neither of us knew what we were doing and it was like super intense and so fun but really unsustainable and it was it was honestly the best but also just was never going to last more. It was than, chaos. Yes, yeah, it, <laughs> it was absolute chaos, and it was a joy. But then we started like actually hanging out with each other, and we were like, "Oh, we quite like each other too." And then so our relationship kind of escalated through there as well. So nothing was linear; it was all very kind of patchy. And then kind of September, October time last year, started talking to this human who I knew already, like I'd known kind of about and around and he he's actually a sub he doesn't top anyone else apart from me but we were just chatting and it, just, <laughs> it does make me feel special because he's very good at it like he he just gets it like he just gets me I guess like we have quite similar actually we've, we've got incredibly similar kink brains which are incredibly well aligned and so like sometimes I'm just like I don't understand how your brain just gets mine and like the things that I hate but want to like want to do but hate so much so we started chatting and it was very like really natural like it, it like it we didn't we weren't planning on like being anything or doing anything we were just chatting because like we both fancied each other and then kind of mummy and toy was born really really naturally and it just accelerated from there quite a lot actually and yeah we started playing and it's been great and then so actually like I love or like pre previous to this I, I love like being called a toy like I like toy and in that kind of way and there was always, there's always been a part of me that is kind of toy but actually in terms of like 
being toy with other people, that's now like totally off the table. Like toy exists only for mummy. It's very intense, but it like belongs there. Like it's, I was playing with someone else and they kept calling me their toy. And I was like, no, we have to, we have to stop this. This doesn't, this does not <laughs> sit well with me anymore. So it's been like, I don't know if I've answered a question here. No, you I've definitely just, have. I think I've rambled have. for a bit. Don't I'm worry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you have explained how, I don't want to say manifest, but how it evolved over time mm. and how you got to this place now where you've been able to find this great DS relationship mm. that evolved naturally and occurred naturally. And I think that's what's really nice about it. Like there was nothing forced about it. Yeah, it occurred naturally and it's been just like a learning joy for the both of us because it's completely new for both of us so it's been really fun and disgusting and horrific and very sad but like that's the, the point of it like toys not allowed to smile but, all. but you're such a smiley person well that's the point like <laughs> in in mummy's presence toy is not allowed to smile and for me that's absolutely impossible but it's an absolutely ridiculous rule and what happens when you smile like, this is just evil, actually. Toy has a punishment box. The punishment box is a literal cardboard box, which inside has noise-cancelling headphones, which play voice notes that I have sent, that Toy has sent to Mummy, on repeat, but slightly off-kilter. And I hate the sound of my own voice. Re- like, I really hate the sound of my own voice. And I hate the voice notes that Toy has sent to Mummy. Like, they're just so pathetic. They're disgusting. And so every time I smile, I get a strike and I have like a, a, a strike tally on me uh, at all times. Like that's rule number one, I think, actually. And so I have this like ongoing tally. And then when we meet, every strike is a minute in the punishment box. And so if I smile, it's just <laughs> more time in the punishment box. What's the longest you've spent in the punishment box? I think like 15 minutes. Wow. Maybe tw- 20. 15. It's awful. It makes me cry. <laughs> um, like, it's not a nice place. It's actually a really horrible place. I do not like it. But I'm sad. It- <laughs> <laughs> toy is incredibly sad. I guess it's the only way Toy can learn, right? Yeah, to not smile. Exactly. And Mummy only does it because he cares. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I love it. What like, a sadistic Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> I do love it. Like, I love talking about it, actually. Like, I, I just think... It's evil. It's like so evil, but it's amazing. And I love being in it. Mm. No, I don't love being in the box. I love being in the, re- in, the re- in, in the relationship. I really hate being in the box. So is, is Mouse also a character or is that? No, Mouse is me. Um, like Mouse is uh, my real life nickname too. Um, or How did was. you get it? I got it from a friend when I was about 14 and um, her name was Ellie, and she was the elephant. I was the mouse, and we had another friend who was Moose. So we the mouse, the moose, and the elephant. And then when <laughs> when I started having sex, people were like, you're really quiet. Because at a point, I was very quiet. So it stuck in like that way as well. And then when I was thinking of a kink name, I was like, I'm just going to be mouse. Do you, do you ever embody mouse in certain ways? Because I, I know you started um, as a bottom. Mm-hmm. Do you think that tied into... That name sort of ties into your submissiveness because m- mice have seemed as quite very timid, very soft, very submissive sort of animals. I think so. Like, I think mouse just really fit for, like, kind of like a sub 
kind of name. But also, I don't think it like is definitely not a character. But also, Toy is not a character either. One thing that I really hate and is on my hard limits list is roleplay. I sh- I can't pretend to be something that I'm not. So everything that I do within kind of kink is like very much a part of like who I am and not something that I play to. Like kink for me is very parts of myself rather than kind of an act, if that makes sense. No, definitely makes sense. Let's talk more about uh, your rope journey yes. and how that started. Because <laughs> um, that's one of the main reasons why I really wanted you on here telling your story because I have a picture of Mouse in my bedroom of her being tied up and just hanging from um, the ceiling or something. And I thought that was such a beautiful picture that someone made because you don't see a lot of bigger black people doing rope in any sort of way. It's always seen as you see a lot of slim white people doing it. And that's why I really wanted to see it because it was just a reminder that, you know, we exist in these places and it's for everyone. I think that's exactly it. Uh, When I started rope about five years ago, I really didn't think it was for me um, because there's there was honestly like no representation of anyone who looked like me within the the realms that I was looking at. It was a lot of beautiful white women and beautiful Asian women who were slim and athletic in like all of these bendy, beautiful positions. And I was like, well, my body... Like, I used to be a dancer, I'm fairly flexible, but, like, my body was not doing any of that. And I'm, like, I'm a big girl, like, I am okay with that. And I was just like, well, this this isn't for me. And then I I went to this bottoming workshop at Anatomy. I was the only one there who wasn't white or Asian. Uh, Yeah, I, I was very much aware of my otherness in the room. I was definitely the biggest one there. But I fell in love with, like, I fell in love with rope that day. It was a class taught by Anna Bones and uh, Sophia Shabari. This sounds really fluffy, but that day genuinely, like, changed my life. And and um, because what my life is now, I owe a lot to my rope journey. And it wouldn't have existed without that class and me just being like, fuck it. Oh, am I allowed to swear? Come on. <laughs> we talk about anything under the sun. You're worried about swearing. <laughs> Sorry. I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to this class. Like, I'm doing it. And I went and it was amazing. And then I started going to some Thursday classes. We do beginners classes on a Thursday. And I met my first rope partner. He was this skinny Romanian boy who I love very dearly. Is this Victor? Yeah. <laughs> He was the first person who tied me. Like, oh. uh, I think that was a while ago, but yeah, he was the first person to tie me up. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, what a small world. Yeah, so uh, he and I uh, learned together, basically. We did like courses together. We hired teachers to, to teach us suspension in his bedroom. It was like a really fun journey for the two of us. And like, it was actually, he was probably, so rope for me isn't an inherently sexual thing. Like, it's intimate, it's erotic. But always when I teach, I, I always say that it doesn't have to be sexual. I particularly like it to, to be. And so, specifically when I'm bottoming, depending on who the person is. And so we used to do some really hot, sexy rope. And it was, like, just a joy. And so 
yeah, we we kind of learned together. And then I just got really, really fucking into it. Like I, I started off as a bottom, but I also learned how to tie um, with Victor because he's a he's a switch. Uh, so we used to switch and I loved learning, actually. And a lot of the reason that I I learned how to tie was because I was kind of struggling to get people to tie me as like a new bottom who was bigger, who was different. I felt like people weren't accessible to me or like riggers weren't accessible to me. But I still wanted the feeling of like being in ropes. I used to self-tie a lot. I still do self-tie actually quite a lot. Why did you feel like you weren't accessible to other riggers? Because people are used to tying smaller people. So they just didn't want to tie you or I, I like, know how to? I think it's a bit of both. There are people who don't want to tie bigger people. And a lot of the time it is because they don't know how to. I have this this memory fairly early on, actually. It was like one I'd kind of like, just as I'd gotten into suspension as a bottom, and I tied with someone. And they weren't a bad rigger at all, but we were tying and they were like, well, I don't know if I'll be able to suspend you because I've never been able to lift anyone heavier than me. And I was just like really put off by that. And like, it just made me feel awful. So yeah, it was definitely a rope experience where I felt unhappy. And I actually didn't say anything to them. And I I wish I had, but I didn't really have the confidence at the time. And actually knowing what I know about rope now, you can be tiny. Because yeah, Victor is so small. Right. And also like my, um, my friend Pretzel, who is, she teaches at, at Anatomy as well. And um, we tie together. And she's surprisingly strong, actually, but small, very small um, in stature. And we did a performance at the end of last year. We, we used a pilly system, but she essentially used her whole body weight to, like, yeet me into the air in my wedding dress. Um, but it's, A, it's possible, and B, we shouldn't be relying, as riggers, we shouldn't be relying on our body weight to counterbalance the other person like we should be lifting people modularly because also that saves us and our backs and our our joints and it's a safe way of or a safer way of of lifting people and we should be thinking about how body mechanics get us into the air and not just being able to like pull a rope and the person go up which you can only do with people who are considerably smaller than you so that was like not a nice experience and that put me off for a while and but also there's like the thing of tying with people who just don't know how to tie on a different body style or different bodies. Like they learn a harness and they learn a pattern, but they don't know how to necessarily transplant that onto something that's different. And a lot of like rope education, um, it's starting to get a lot better, but kind of focuses on kind of classic things and classic shapes on classic bodies and actually... There's this thing where it's like more body means more wraps. And actually it it doesn't at all. It means attaching things in different places and thinking differently and thinking about. I tie a lot of bigger bodies for, for the very specific reason that I love tying people who don't necessarily think that they belong in rope either. Because I think, you know, I'll die on the hill of everyone. Everybody is a body that can do rope. I taught my first... Um, weekend beginners course a couple of weeks ago at the studio we do this closing circle and one of the people who had come to the course and I taught her on a Thursday before uh, which is like our smaller beginner sessions 
And she said at the beginning of the weekend that she'd come specifically because she wanted to be taught by me, which like made me well up a little bit at that point. <laughs> but then w- during Closing Circle, she said that people had said that bigger bodies could do rope and things could be adapted. But that I had shown her this weekend that that was a real thing and a real possibility and that, you know, her body does belong in rope. And I cried quite a lot um, because it does and it is. It is so important that people know that everybody can do rope if they want to and they belong in it. And that's something that has taken me a really long time and really good relationships with really great people to kind of think about. And also it's like the same with like, there's a real race disproportionality within rope and and the rope scene. And I've been very acutely aware of the fact that a lot of the time I, I walk into the studio, and the studio's in Peckham, by the way. Peckham is not a white area. But you walk into the studio and it's like a whole bunch of like white or white passing people. And they're great. They're like my best friends. Uh, that's not a kind of slight at the studio in the slightest because I love it. But I was really aware that I was like feeling very other in that space. And actually that is kind of a barrier to accessibility, I think, for people. And when I started teaching last year and kind of working at the studio, it was a real it's a real passion point of mine to be like, okay, how do we increase the diversity in this space? And I realized as much as I I hate to, I don't like taking credit for this in the slightest, but representation is just a huge part. So having someone teach who isn't like white or Asian was a huge thing. But you have to have someone who is then able to teach. So I'd kind of come through and now I'm at a point where I can teach. And so that there is someone to represent, but you have to get those people to the the point in which they can be the representation point. And so I've started this POC rope jam and and class and trying to really centre some spaces on people of colour who want to do rope but who don't want to be necessarily taught by someone white. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of history, right, with with people of colour and rope. So I'm Jamaican. I'm not Jamaican. My grandparents are Jamaican. I'm British, but I have Jamaican heritage. And maybe like a year or so into my rope journey, actually. It was like quite a long time. I was like, fuck, what am I doing? Because I I don't know what it was that caused me to have this moment of just incredible, I don't know if it was like panic or shame or just realisation that I was enjoying something that was a, a real... I feel like problem is the wrong word. That was that was quite. I remember you, um, you talking about this. You said that some people can feel quite triggered mm. or activated by rope, given the history with a lot of black people during slavery, and you know lynching in America and using the noose. So there's a a complicated history with black people and bondage. And so, from my understanding, what you were saying is just like having to navigate those feelings yeah and it was it was hard feelings to navigate actually and I had to navigate it in not just with rope but also with impact and asphyxiation and I kind of did it all at the same time because I did a rope scene with with a a really good friend of mine that I was talking about earlier and again 
I love asphyxiation. And I essentially had a noose around my neck and I was balancing on my knees. We were pulling up and I was like getting choked out and eventually ended up on the floor having fainted, uh, which was fun and I loved it. But afterwards I had this real thing of like, this was not fun for people. This was torture and death for people who looked like me. And here I am making light of it almost and enjoying it. And part of me is like, well, maybe I can take that back, right? Use rope to reclaim some sort of something. But also that's not my, that's not my place to do that. Like, because I think also about like, I love whips. I love being whipped. It's a, a pain that I find it really difficult to process. And so it's like my favorite kind of pain. And I have this this thing where I'm like, but this is this was real, real life torture for people who looked like me. And he, here I am in like the middle of a club or the middle of a venue being whipped by a white man. And that made me feel things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I totally understand. I, <laughs> I understand a lot. It's something I've thought about a lot, especially being a black woman and that you have white play partners and you're adopting these dom sub roles like is it actually okay for me to have a white dom and you know and then I, I see people who um who like the whole slave master mm. relationship and in my head I'm, I'm battling with a lot of thoughts of is this actually okay am I am I right. allowed to do this as yeah and we are because we're adults who consent to these things and I think consent is the big thing here is that I am doing something that I like doing and I want to do and I consent to. And that is, for me, it's the imperative point. It's it's the, the pinnacle of it is that at any point I can say no and I will say no. Our kind of heritage and our ancestors, they didn't have that choice. And so I feel like by allowing myself to enjoy it, but with the knowledge that I have choice and agency over what I do is for me it's like one of the ways that I navigate that because like with the whole like white play partner thing kink is in general skewed um I know we're we're being better at it and we're doing better now but especially five years ago like when I kind of got into it or six years ago when I got into it everyone was white or everyone I knew was white and so I always have this thing where I so I'm a I'm a very bisexual mixed race woman that is how I kind of lived my life. I married a straight white man. I was like, how? How 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 did I marry like an actual straight white man? And I mean, he's the best thing in the world. I love him beyond anything. And I'm so glad that I have him in my life. And that's how you, you reconcile that. It's like, well, I married the person who I wanted to marry because I loved them. And I went from a person who didn't believe in marriage to getting actually married to a human because they made that feel okay and safe but there's still part of me that's like you have to reconcile with yourself all of the things that you do and as long as you find a way to make things okay that's okay I'm not sure that makes sense as a sentence but (laughs) I think you understand the the gist of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I get what you mean I get what you mean I think um a lot of non-white people in the kink and fetish scene they probably experience the same sort of feelings that we experience, you know. And I think there's always going to be residual feelings and thoughts towards 
how we are in these scenes and then how potentially how others see us, even though we don't really don't care what other people think. But it is. You don't care what other people think? I mean, I say that, but I do. <laughs> I, have, I have the worst thing about caring what other people think. And I'm really working on it. Like, I'm like five years into therapy. Like, we're, we're working on this shit. But I do have, and I'm in like, uh, I'm in a position of power now, right? Um, which I hate. I do love it. Like, I love, I love being a teacher. I love being an educator. I love being someone that people look to on the kink scene. But I also hate it because it means that I, I feel like I, I get scrutinised a little bit more. Not in, a, not in a bad way, but so I run this kind of like POC jam and I, I try and create spaces for, for people uh, of colour and people of uh, different sizes within Rope mostly because that's my kind of like base, but um, in general in the kink scene. And I'm more aware that people are now looking at me and having opinions on what I do and opinions on what I say and opinions on how how I look and, and how I am aware that I am a mixed raced human running a POC jam. And like, am I black enough for that? Am I, I'm not very, I, you know, I have a very complicated history with my, uh, with both sides of, of my parents kind of family. So I'm, I don't have a huge cultural tie to either my Jamaican side or my British side and is not having that kind of, am, am I Jamaican enough to, to kind of claim these spaces? And, you know, I am, I do. And it's, it's important that someone like me does create these spaces and at points I have to get over myself and just be like, you belong in these spaces and, you know, these spaces don't exist without me sometimes which sounds really ridiculous but like that rope jam at the moment doesn't exist outside of what I can create because I'm the person who can create it because I have the experience to teach and like soon hopefully we'll have other people who will be able to kind of surpass me and join the fray but at the moment I'm aware of like the the power that gives me and you know I want to make sure that I continue to be like a good person in this. Yeah. And I think that's the ultimate goal really is to see more of you and more people like you taking up these spaces and being able to pass on that knowledge so that you're not the only one who mm. can instill it and who has to be the, the focal point on all eyes on you. Because it feels arrogant, right, to say it. But so the the picture that you that you have of me was done at a Drawn to Rope event and I've done two now. And they're beautiful. They're one of my favourite things that I've ever done. And I hate being the centre of attention. So, like, for me to be the centre of attention, it was a lot. But you look at kind of... The Drawn to Rape happens every, every month and is an incredible event for um, people to come or artists to come and, and do shibari life drawing. But when you look at kind of the models who are all fabulous and beautiful in their own right, over the last year there's been very few people of colour as models or riggers and I think actually mostly it's me and it feels really arrogant for me to be like well I am the person of colour that you kind of go to when it comes to to rope work and I think it's sad that that is a thing and I'd like to hope that the kind of work that I'm doing will make that less of a thing. I think it will I honestly think that the work you do is the catalyst for even bigger and brighter futures of more people of colour in rope. I hope so. I really hope so because, like, I 
honestly, so this this rope jam is the most incredible thing I've ever done. And uh, last month, it, it was just like this beautiful room of like, I think there were 45 people in the end of colour in this room that I'm so used to seeing full of like my favourite, but lots of white people or lots of Asian people or like just non-white people. No, not non-white people. White people? Yes, that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so to be kind of sat in this room with just such an amazing group of people of colour and teach them things that I love was just like the most fulfilling and like heartwarming thing. And so I can only hope that someone else can come and do that too. And like we're in a bubble, we're in like our London bubble and I want to like make it bigger in the UK kind of thing, but I'm only one person. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to reach far. This is just the beginning. Mm. We're going to leave it on that wonderfully delicious note. Thank you again, Mouse, for joining me and joining us, sharing your story and allowing us to be a part of it. And thank you, lovely listeners, for tuning in. Let us know your thoughts and carry on the conversation with the hashtag SkinOutPod. Do all the things that you usually do with podcasts. Give us a good rating, share on social media, share with your friends and family. And I'll see you next time.